This podcast is brought to you by American Civil War and UK History. This is for the Passion of History podcast. This presentation is available as a video on our YouTube channel or as a podcast from wherever you get your podcasts from. If you're watching on YouTube, please remember to hit the subscribe button. And for blog posts, updates and links to all of our content, including all of our social media pages, please head over to our website. Link can be found in the podcast's description. Cheers. Hello, I'm Daz, and this is the first episode of For the Passion of History podcast. Uh, so a little bit of background on why I've decided to launch this podcast. So the podcast will be available through American Civil War and UK History's channels. So YouTube will have a playlist dedicated to the podcast. It will be available from the same place you get your podcast from, um, but just called For the Passion of History. Uh, the reason I'm uh, launching this offshoot uh, is sometimes I would like to discuss other periods of history which are outside of the American Civil War and UK history uh, area. So this platform will allow me to do that. Um, um, I'm not going to create new social media pages or anything like that. So everything will be on American Civil War and UK history's uh, web uh, pages, uh, Facebook, Instagram, all that. Um, there will also be two sections dedicated to it on the website. So there'll be blog posts for for the passion of history, as well as a podcast. So you'll be able to find everything on there. Um, now, um, today's discussion is going to be about other time periods of history. So we thought it'd be fun to start it off. Um, and I've got two guests waiting in the wings um, that are going to come on in a minute. And we're going to discuss other things that we like in history, apart from the American Civil War. And UK history. So, waiting in the wings, we have none other than uh, historian and a good friend of mine, Tim Wilgin. Please come into the room, Tim. It does, hurry up. Welcome, thank you, mate. And we also have Dr. Nathan Profos. So, please, Nathan, please enter the room. Thank you very much. Welcome, Nate. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, so yeah, this is a new um, thing that we're branching out to do. And again, you know, I've got two great guys with me to do that. And I know you boys love your history too. So, um, but um, we're going to start with you, uh, Dr. Nathan Provost, because you, your your title has changed, hasn't it? And uh, so do you want to explain why and uh, what went on there? And this morning, ladies and gentlemen, it's the only time we're going to mention Americans in one UK history again. <laughs> right, so... Um... I actually just uh, defended my dissertation this past month. Uh, I believe it was on October 26th around there. Uh, but yeah, so I finished up my dissertation on the Battle of Cold Harbor uh, during the American Civil War, essentially arguing that um, it was a operational and strategic Union victory uh, that took place. I think we could go back and forth about the uh, tactical side of it, depending on how you measure victory. Uh, but ultimately, operations and strategy are probably the two most important aspects of warfare. Uh, but yeah, no, it was a great experience. I got to um, have an awesome conversation with three three professors, uh, and you know, I, I think it went very very well. And they decided, I guess, at the end of that, to give me the title of of doctor, which uh, it, it was great. It was it was wonderful. Awesome. I'm really pleased for you. Congratulations. Um, yeah, so you were just saying you had to sit there in front of professors and oh, so how does this actually work? Because I don't understand how it works, obviously, because I, I would, you know, never been in that situation. So what, what, 
what goes into that? So it must be quite scary going in there and seeing these people sitting there staring at you. You know, I it actually was to a certain extent because I, I didn't know how to prepare for it and I hadn't talked to anyone that had done it before. So, you know, there's kind of this part where I had to make somewhat of a presentation about my overall dissertation and I had to make, do that presentation in, uh, you know, 15 to 25 minute time time crunch, um, which was very hard to do based upon how much I wrote. So I really had to squeeze everything in in a very shortened amount of time. Um, but then, um, you know, it, it was nice. Basically, it after I finished that presentation, the the professors, it was like two rounds of questioning from the professors and and each one would ask me something like, I don't know, four or five questions. Um, but really, I mean, the whole thing took about an hour uh, to complete. And then towards the end of it, there was, that's when the professors, they actually broke into like their own room and they conferred to make sure like, you know, I met the uh, standards and expectations of, of what they want me to achieve through this dissertation. And they came back on and essentially gave me, uh, they, they explained, you know, just add in these three paragraphs here to your dissertation, call it good, you know, congratulations, Dr. Provost. And it was, yeah, it was awesome. It was, it was cool. A lot of hard work went into that, didn't it? So you must be. And again, you know, you, you probably. Two, two years of writing. <laughs> yeah, you probably want to rest from Grant and the Civil War for a little while, for a little while. So, okay, then let's, um, let's go to you, Tim. So. What other periods of history, and you're not allowed to talk about the American Revolution, because I know you're a big fan of that, because that involves the UK and Britain and all that. So apart from the American Civil War and UK history, what are your other areas? And then maybe we can have a little bit of a discussion about what you talk about and say. Hmm. And get well, uh, yeah. if I'm going to be constrained from talking about the revolution, I mean... I don't actually know of much of anything else that I read on a regular basis that doesn't involve the UK. Oh, okay. World War One involves the UK. <laughs> World War Two involves the UK. Well, uh, no, you can my... talk about America's involvement in World War Two. Okay. You? Um, so you yeah. obviously like that, don't you? I mean, this is a, a, a changeover the last since I finished my my masters, um, which did involve that conflict we're not talking about. Um, my act, my other interests have kind of taken over my bookshelf. So there's still some civil war retained on those two shelves, but the rest of my bookshelf is all world war two. Um, yeah. So is that so more I, specific stuff or is that? It's a, it's a mix. Is it mixed? Um, yeah. Uh, I've got a couple, a three volume series on, uh, the UK's most famous general from World War II that I'm slogging through trying to change my perspective. But much of the rest is um, uh, is America. A lot of it's Normandy, um, just because of the sheer amount that was written about it. I've got a bunch of new titles on the bulge. I've got just picked up a hard copy of John McManus is uh, New Island Infernos. It's his final book. Um, oh, it's volume two on the uh, 
his Pacific War series. Um, so really interested in that. Uh, just the dynamic, the difference in um, how the the different theaters of American involvement in World War II were fought. Um, in a lot of ways, you could make an argument that the Pacific Theater was a lot more brutal. Oh, definitely. Uh, a lot a lot yeah. of people chalk that up to, to racial differences, and I think there probably is a lot to that. Um, but just that it was a lot more uh, of a brutal conflict. And then the other title I had there with it is also about uh, the war in the South Pacific. Um, basically everything outside of Nimitz's area in the Central Pacific and then outside of MacArthur. So... Um, which basically boils down to really just Guadalcanal um, and goes into a lot of the, uh, it, it's focused on the ground combat. So on the islands, so much of it's Marines uh, on Guadalcanal. And then there were actually a couple army divisions there. Um, one of the little known facts about, which you saw on my Facebook page, it shows, I put out, I put it up every now and again, you know, there were actually more army divisions involved in the Pacific and world war two than there were, uh, Marines by a considerable number. Um, and actually, if you look at it, you know, the army in the Pacific by itself would have ranked in the top 10, uh, armies by size during that period. So mm -hmm. it's a pretty interesting topic, but outside of those, uh, conflicts and i read a lot of war one stuff um stay away from the uk's i like reading about gallipoli but specifically the involvement of the anzacs um, yeah, so one, one thing i'm getting is that it's very hard to um find anything what the uk was involved in <laughs> there's that i know they're involved in world war ii and i get what you're saying but um yeah, um, like the revolution, like we're directly sort of involved, whereas we're fighting each other, whereas World War Two is sort of, I know we were sort of to allies, but yeah, I suppose in yeah, Europe, then, I suppose it's, it's difficult actually, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then I guess as far as like a uh, little interest that I keep, that turns out to be a lot more than a little interest when, when you look into it. Uh, I read a lot of Napoleon on the side, like I can't, whenever... Uh, a Kindle sale comes up, they tend to do these great markdowns on like pen and sword books, which is a yes. great publisher. Mm -hmm. um, I can't not get a $3 book on the Napoleonic Wars when it shows up. So I was actually cataloging and turns out over the last like five, six years with this guilty pleasure of mine, I've procured like 60 titles yeah. on Napoleon stuff. And a good friend of mine, my former librarian from high school, actually, has written a good number of those, so I'm kind of slogging through his uh, books about the uh, about a couple of British units during um, the Peninsular Wars and then uh, or Peninsular War and then Waterloo, so. Mm -hmm. So I know you obviously mentioned the Pacific there, but have you got any, like, favorite uh, movies or TV shows from, like, that portray that, that period of history? Because um, I really liked the actual TV show Pacific, but I had to watch it twice before I appreciated that. Um, but I know there's quite a lot it, out there, isn't there? It's yeah, it's taken me a lot longer. Um, 
You know, when it comes to the, like the Pacific Theater, I wouldn't. Not, none of the uh, depictions really struck me very favorably the first time I watched it. No. Um, the Thin Red Line. It's about a army unit on Guadalcanal. That took me years to appreciate, um, but yeah, I, I do I now. I really appreciated that myself. Actually, I find right. I need to rewatch it. I think. Yeah. And then. Uh, I guess I did enjoy the great raid about the uh, Rangers capture of the prison camp at Cabana Tuan. Um, so that one I always enjoyed. Um, but generally speaking, the Pacific really, you had like John Wayne's, uh, what is it? Sansi Wojima. And then you had uh, Clint Eastwood's uh, yeah. two two movies, Flags of Our Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima. But there really wasn't much done on the Pacific, at least the ground element. It no. just really doesn't translate very well to film. We're, I think a we're lot not going to mention the Pearl R. Harbor movie because that was, sorry, that was really shite. <laughs> it was. <laughs> the action scenes were great, but the rest of it was I, like the crap. I, I saw a great, a great meme. It was basically, there were a couple historical accuracies in uh, – Pearl, in Pearl Harbor, there was a place called Pearl Har uh, base at Pearl Harbor, and two, it was attacked. Now and that's about it. What about? I mean, I used to play a video game called Rising Medal of Honor Rising Sun. Do you remember that, Tim? You probably remember that because you're that uh, same age as me. Um, sorry, yeah, mate. Hey, you, you just sit there. Hey, a I, I played that. I oh, actually do that? have very fond memories of that game. Me and my father would actually wow, play awesome. the game together. The reason I brought it up because it starts off like Pearl Harbor, like in Pearl Harbor, doesn't it? And you're laying in your bunk, and there's like this Hawaiian music playing, and then you have to get up on the gun deck and start shooting all the Japanese planes. Yeah, do you remember that? That was fantastic. Yeah. What a great game! A series of games they were. I mean, I had some of the early. Well, I had a Medal of Honor two, which was set in Europe, and uh, that was, was that Allied assault. I think so, something like that. But then it's yeah, all that was changed. a good game. Some of them are really good, you know, but um, it's all it's all you know promoting history at the end of the day. So um, we'll get on to you in a minute, Nate, because I know you've got like um, you know um, a relative that fought in some of the wars, um, you know, World War Two and and uh, uh, Korea. But Tim, have you got any family that fought in um, some of the early wars, like the World War Two or World War One, or anything like that? Um, so. I had no grandfathers in World War II um, or great grandfathers for that matter. One of my grandfathers was uh, 4F, so he was ineligible medically. He kind of took that pretty hard. Um, I think also he probably got, was, they probably took, well, from my understanding, they may took his, you know, family size into consideration since he had uh, multiple kids under five at that point. But he, you know, his met 4F based on his on a foot problem and then his eyesight. My other grandfather was a Korea vet era veteran. He was uh, basically a secretary to Air Force commanders to generals. He was an admin guy. Um, so he was in the Air Force during Korea, but never went over there. Um, both my dad and my uncle are technically cold war vets and i mean my dad was a jag in the air force and my uncle did uh engineering on carriers um going back to world war one uh one of my great grandfathers was in uh 
was in a unit that he was enlisted at the end of 1917, but for some reason his unit didn't get mobilized or federalized until October of 1918. Um, because they, they joined state units much as they had since before the Civil War, and then the units would eventually get federalized and sent overseas. Um, his was not. So by the time they they were about to be federalized, the war ended. So he was basically discharged. But he's listed as a veteran in North Dakota, but didn't really see anything. But his, I had one uncle, or I had three or four uncles who were sent over during World War I. Um, and one of my uh, mom's uncles was in World War II. Um, well, she had m several on both sides of the family, actually, um, that were in World War II. One was in the Pacific, actually, was in the 25th Infantry Division. He won the Bronze Star in the Philippines uh, in the 35th Infantry Regiment um, at a place called Belidi Pass, north on uh, the island of Luzon. Um, so I'm pretty proud of that. Um, and then probably the coolest family story I've posted on my Facebook page before was a uh, prior most famous veteran in the family. He was a fighter pilot. He's a first cousin. Um, he flew F4Fs off of several carriers, the Enterprise, Lexington. Um, he was actually shot down. I forget the name of the island chain, but the sub that rescued him had just the day before rescued another pilot and they ended up rescuing a few more and then they all signed a, a piece of my cousin's lifeboat that or life raft that he'd used after he'd been shot down because the sub couldn't get close to him because it was too close to shore so basically it pulled him out by his by its periscope until they were a safe distance away so he pulled his lifeboat ashore and then they cut off a piece and they all signed their name and put a thumbprint their thumbprints on it um, what an awesome story. And, but, awesome. and the pilot that had been rescued right before him uh, was Lieutenant Junior Grade George Herbert Walker Bush. So the famous photo of Bush getting rescued after he was shot down, you know, 24 hours later, they were doing the exact same thing with my cousin. Um, and unfortunately, it, you know, it isn't all a happy story because he was you know, cleared back for duty and was shot down and killed at, at the end of 1944 over the Philippines, what was Clark Field. Um, so nevertheless, it's, you know, point of pride for the family. They served honorably. Um, but yeah, I've calculated a bunch. Of, I'm big in the genealogy, so I've calculated, you know, 50, 60 cousins, uncles, that served in World War Two and roughly the same number for World War One. Wow, awesome. Okay, Nate, I'll bring you into the conversation, mate. And uh, so what other parts of history do you like, uh, are you into? Well, I know you're into uh, the Napoleonic, or Napoleon, aren't you? you reader. Yeah. Um, so I've actually, I, I like reading about a lot of different things. I'm currently um, reading a, a three-volume biography on Andrew Jackson right now, which is very, very good. Awesome. Uh, I, I'm also currently reading The Campaigns of Napoleon by David Chandler. Um, that's excellent. It's a very, very good book. 
Um, Andrew Jackson is, um, I need to say Prime Minister then, um, President during the War of 1812, is that right? He was not, uh, not at that time. He actually served... Oh no, he's the one that's at New Orleans, that's right, isn't it? That's correct, yeah. 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 He, uh, um, that's what he's, that's probably what he's actually best known for outside of being a president. Uh, mm -hmm. But he also is responsible for... Um, Basically, if you want to call it conquering Florida, I mean, that's basically huh. what happened. Uh, he, he fought in the Creek War. Uh, he's largely responsible for uh, fighting a lot of the tribes down in the southeast. And he was a guy that, that had a horrible, horrible temper. Uh, the one thing I'm learning about him, I didn't realize how many duels that guy was in. Oh, he dear. Yes. He, he, he killed people. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't realize he killed people. Um, so but, it didn't take long for someone to upset him then, basically. No. Well, and, character. You, you know, it's kind of hard to exactly pinpoint why, you know, his his temper. And I, I don't want to get into the whole, you know, psychological history or anything like that. Uh, but, I mean, just based upon contextually speaking, he had a very rough childhood i know that his uh his family does end up passing away when he's he's very very young um he's very poor at one point in his life and he's he's very much someone that's like you know i gotta pull myself up by my own bootstraps um and he just didn't have too much patience uh for people and they didn't have much patience for him though uh he he sometimes rubbed people the wrong way and uh he created a lot of enemy enemies doing that so it, but it's a very good book uh or very good series of books it's excellent um i'm still on the first volume uh but andrew jackson very interesting character uh campaigns of napoleon i only i really enjoy reading about the napoleonic wars simply just based upon there's there's so much fighting there's so much political history social history military history there's there's just so much going on that you get every aspect of history that you might enjoy uh just based upon this one big event it's very transformative in that in that instance um and you know i i i really do just strictly speaking enjoy military history and that's and that's yeah, something okay. I, I i very much um so you enjoy. don't tend to sort of step out of that sort of military history sort of stuff really yeah. yeah, that's yeah. all right. That's not a problem. I mean, I've, I'm probably sort of quite like that as well myself, really. But I, I quite like um, social history, you know, of how things have changed for people and, you know, um, over the years and how people live now and well, in their, in their personal experiences and just simply how, um, you know, they they experience certain events, um, you know, and and. <laughs> even within my dissertation sorry i'm going back to this but, that's right you carry on uh, you know one one of the most interesting things about my dissertation simply was just reading about um there were union soldiers that belonged to the o, uh, ojibwa tribe and they were sharpshooters uh but they fought for the union and they were very well known among the new york regiments and they played a very important role at Cold Harbor uh, when it came to sharpshooting uh, other Confederate soldiers that 
that were there. Um, but though, I mean, those are just some of the aspects that I think are really important. And in fact, you know, I actually, um, I'm also reading a biography on John Churchill, uh, the Duke of Marlborough. And yes, that's British history, but, um, yeah. the guy that actually wrote one of the most famous biographies was one of his, uh, ancestors later on, Winston Churchill. Yes. And Winston, Winston Churchill actually has an awesome quote in this, and it's, it is a wonderful quote. And this has to do with just simply the significance of reading about military history and just kind of like the general interest of it. But he says that great battles won or lost, change the entire course of events, create new standards of values, new moods, new atmospheres and armies and in nations to which all must conform. And I think that simply goes back to, even though military history might not be studied all that much now within university, um, you know, the reality is, is that the consequences of military history are quite profound in their impact um, on just about every single culture and country and nation state, whatever. Um, But, you know, and that's why I always really do push and advocate for military history uh, just because I feel like it's somewhat on um, somewhat on a low point in terms of popularity with people. Uh, But, you know, I I enjoy reading all of it. I just really, really enjoy military history specifically. Mm -hmm. And so what about some of America's earlier wars, like uh, the Mexican American war? Is that something you've delved into yet or not really looked at? Because it's something that I'm thinking of, of uh you know looking into myself really obviously through launching this you know probably going to do a few episodes on that you know well it it involves a lot of famous uh, civil war generals doesn't it you know uh yeah there's i'm pretty sure there's a book out there that's uh it's i think it's called the training ground and it and it specifically talks about the the civil war generals that had fought in the mexican-american war uh and yeah i i I am very interested in it, uh, just in terms of. It's really this is that, like you said, this is where they learn their trade. You know, people like Grant and you know other of Sherman and all these guys. You know, they all learn their trade, don't they? Through, you know, going into on this campaign into Mexico, sort of thing. Well, they they learn about each other. I mean, it's yeah. it's you know they they figure out you know each of their personalities and, and, and who they were. Um, I mean, Grant certainly remembered who, who Polk was. Um, he, he, well, did he, he remembers who, Robert Lee, doesn't he? Obviously he Lee remembers Robert Lee. Lee. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but, but outside of even the civil war there, I mean, we, you still have characters like Winfield Scott, you have Zachary Taylor, uh, both of who are extremely important within American history and, and largely, somewhat forgotten um i mean winfield scott and tim you can correct me here if i'm wrong yeah tim jump in on the conversation on this because i'd like to know whether you're interested in that period as well if if uh, the winfield scott i believe still has the longest serving record within the american military i could be wrong on that but yeah, so when he comes into service at the beginning of the Civil War, he's seen the oh, he's already, really, uh, really well-liked, really respected guy, isn't he? And that's why I mean, they rely on him. He, he had the longest record of service as a general. 
Okay. Because he makes general and I think 1813 during okay. the war of 1812. So by the time he gets off active duty, he's been a general for, cause he leaves active duty at the tail end of 61. So he'd been a general for 48 years. So he really um, knew his stuff. I mean, they, yeah. he is over, he is under, underappreciated. Um, you know, it is my understanding he was considered for one of the rename, you know, renamings of the the posts here in in the U.S. that they would might look at Winfield Scott because he was a Virginian who stayed loyal to to the Union during the Civil War. Um, but you know, his to be honest, his career was too extensive to really allow for that because in the midst of you know. His career, he had the Black Hawk Wars, played a role in the uh, the Army's efforts during the what became known as the Trail of Tears, you know, relocating the Cherokee, and they thought that that reflected badly on him, um, as if he planned it, which, you know, he didn't, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so they, you know, never really put him forward as a, as a viable option, so... Um, but his career was it was supremely profound, and he was a big, you know. Uh, there's books about his um, sorry uh, involvement, um, you know, blurring the lines between the you know civilian you know leadership of the military, and you know he was being touted as a potential presidential candidate, and that made the president during uh president pope nervous during uh the mexican war so um well, ironically enough zachary taylor came to be the bigger threat um but you know winfield scott i what's what's actually somewhat interesting is what he actually became well known for at least worldwide and in military circles was uh the invasion into the heart of mexico you're invading Veracruz and then marching inland. Uh, that's that's what he b probably became best known for. And even I think even the Duke of Wellington. Yeah, he uh, admired him. Oh, definitely. Yeah, he yeah. he admired Winfield Scott and actually praised his uh, his campaign in Mexico. Yeah. Wow. I think there's definitely an episode about him in the work in the in the in the uh, back there somewhere. I mean, yeah. and wow. many commanders. Uh, you know, may, many future Civil War leaders, Grant, for example, served under both of them during the war. And it's interesting seeing their differing opinions. I mean, to sum it up, you know, Grant liked both. They both, but they both had their, you know, flaws and advantages. So, and we can get into more of that later, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, that's a <laughs> yeah. really interesting period that I think gets overlooked quite a lot and will have a profound effect on the civil war when it kicks off. And here we are mentioning the civil war again, so I do apologize. But, um, <laughs> Nate, anyway, let's go back to your, so your grandfather, um, he served during World War II, didn't he? And, and uh, the Korean War. So just, if you wouldn't mind, you know, you don't have to go, you go as deep as you want, but, um, you know, talk about your grandfather, because I know he's special to you, because you mentioned it in, uh, I think in your introduction for Happy Saturday or something like that, didn't you? So, just like to ask you a little bit about that and just talk about that if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. Uh, so my grandfather, 
his name was Richard Provost, and and he he has a really kind of interesting life. And he, you know, he's someone that I always looked up to and admired when I was a kid. Um, he talked a lot. He's, he, he definitely talked a lot, but, uh, I learned a lot from the guy. He was born in 1927 in Massachusetts. He was extremely, extremely poor. Uh, his father was like a shoemaker. He made shoes and they didn't make much money. And he had something like, I don't know, 10 sisters or something like that. He did have an old, he did have a very older brother, uh, but but he was the youngest of the family and he was born 1927. So, you know, he, he actually is uh, going to go through school. His parents require that they pay, that he pays them rent when he's, I think only 11 years old. Wow. Um, so he already, what he actually does for his first work is in, you know, the city he lived in, which, um, you know, they didn't have elevators and it was just like those staircases off to the side of the buildings and whatnot. Uh, when he actually worked for, um, a grocer and, and, and he actually would take the groceries and run them up the stairs. That's what he got paid to do. Um, and that's how he's able to pay his, pay his parents. Uh, and then finally, when, you know, World War II broke out, he actually tried leaving home at 16 to go join the Canadian Air Force, uh, because they actually, his grandfather immigrated from, uh, Quebec, uh, to the United States sometime in the 1880s. And, you know, my, my grandfather explained to me that, they actually came over because of their, their interest in the United States. And, and, you know, my great grandfather would go watch, you know, um, wild Bill Hickok and all them and, and, uh, whatever they go to those shows, uh, or maybe it was Buffalo Bill Co- Cody. That's who it was. Yeah. They go to Buffalo Bill Cody. I'm going to delve into some of that in a minute, but yeah, carry on. Yeah. Um, but regardless of that, you know, my grandfather, he just had kind of this weird, interesting life growing up. He told me that he actually got to talk to and meet, you know, union veterans because there were still union soldiers alive yeah, at this right, point. Yeah. And they still had parades. So he would see the union soldiers in the parade and everything else. Wow. Uh, which was really, yeah. Um, and, you know, so anyway, he tries leaving home at 16 to go join the Canadian Air Force, but uh, my great grandmother, you know, told him, told him, no, uh, he can't go. And she, she, you know, she begged and pleaded it. Uh, and they wouldn't sign off on his papers either. So that was out the door. So he ends up just joining up, um, in 1945 with the draft and he actually joins the Navy. Uh, he doesn't join the air force or army. He ends up joining the Navy and he's actually sent out to California and he actually doesn't see much, uh, service in world war II. He is responsible for, uh, he becomes a physician's aide and he ends up working with guys that are wounded and he also uh, guards German prisoners that are actually in California at this point in time. Uh, So he actually, I don't have it around here, but he actually got a gift from a German soldier that made a little ship in the bottle while he was guarding him and the German soldier gave it to him. Uh, and then he, once World War II was over, he, um, went back and got 
um, in education for a brief period. And that's when he met my grandmother. Uh, but around that same time, he actually uh, gets called back up into the service for the Korean War. And that's actually when he is stationed on a ship. He, he goes out. Um, and that's when, you know, he's working really close with, with a, uh, some of the Marines that were in Korea. Um, and he was always very, very proud of that. Um, he, I don't know too much about his time in Korea and, uh, you know, I know that he worked with guys that actually were very seriously wounded there. Um, but um, otherwise for the most part, that's, that was his primary service was, but, was but most veterans don't want to talk about their experiences because they probably experienced some really harsh and horrible stuff, didn't they? So, um, yeah. you know, how, so did he never ever really talk about any of that to, to anyone or not, not the stuff, not, not no. that stuff. No. Not I mean, he would tell me some, some of the jokes they'd play yeah. on each other and whatnot. Yeah. Um, you know, like the, uh, on board the ship, you know, their, their toilet was kind of a stream that went down. Oh, no. And so guys would sometimes have to squat over it. And oh, so, yeah. some, some of the guys, he said, they would get a little piece of paper and they'd light it and they'd set it in the water. <laughs> and as it was going down, it would actually brush oh, over uh, uh, some of the butts of the guys uh, that were squatting over it. I, I guess. they've been doing that for thousands of years. Yeah, so well, not with toilet paper, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so he he liked always telling that story. That's pretty but, cool. But when he came back, though, he actually decided to get his degree in psychology, and I'm actually not the first doctor provost he is. Oh, nice. Uh, he went on uh, to Texas A&M, and he got his doctorate in psychology, uh, and he ended up working at Texas A&M, and then it, he worked at the University of. Uh, Nebraska at Kearney, and then he ended up in Iowa. Um, so he was the guy that, you know, it, for him, it was really important that I get my education and that, you know, my my sister get her education. And um, that was just so important for him. You know, he'd bring me history books all the time. Uh, and just, he, he'd always bring me a new set because he loved history, even though he he was a psychology guy. That's just what he really enjoyed. And I, I just fell in love with it. Um, so, you know, you I just, I just have very good trips um, to some of these historical battlefields or, you know, it's funny. Um, he actually, he never like took me to like any historical battlefield or anything. That was something yeah. like I would do on my own later on. Um, but he just kind of got that interest. He, he, he brought me those books and that kind of opened up this interest in history yeah. for me. Um, but, you know, he had talked about, cause my uncle also, also served and he was stationed in Germany during the, during the cold war. Um, and so, you know, my father and my grandfather and my grandmother, they, they went to Germany and France and they visited him, I think sometime in the 1980s or something like that. Um, it actually might have been a little before that it might have been like 1978, 1978. I think that sounds right. Um, that's when they went over and Darren, you should know, this should probably make you feel pretty good. This is when the French didn't have toilet paper yet. And oh, they had yeah, like, they use their socks like, <laughs> like that. And like, supposedly they had to use like paper bags or oh, something. Good. <laughs> so, that's at least what my thought. I'm only joking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic, Tim. Do you know what? I don't think I probably have asked you, and you probably have told me, but um, because what Nate just said there of how he saw like his grand 
father like got him into history really but don't think i've ever you've ever told me how you sort of got into history did you have any like you know someone like that that sort of you know got you into history in a way you know or made you become nope. interested in it no you just sort of you're like me you just sort of got interested yourself yeah i mean yeah. my interest in history um really got started because they uh uh aerated the uh gettysburg battlefield and a five-year-old version of myself believed they were bullet holes and my parents allowed me to believe that was true there you go <laughs> before they knew it i was obsessed and there was nothing they could do about it so oh well never mind <laughs> and then there's, you worse things. <laughs> there's worse things yeah so <laughs> So a lot of people might not know, um, you know, so my, this is UK history, but obviously the reason I really get into history is, well, firstly, I'm tripping over the damn stuff, which is not a bad thing, but um, is the gunpowder plot was my first sort of real sort of thing into history. And then also we have a place called the Smuggler's Caves in Hastings, um, which I remember going as a kid. And while these caves are, are, are really old, you know, I mean, there's a carving in there that predates a lot of stuff. But um, during that real, you know, that period of piracy, these caves were used, you know, and uh, there's a really spooky place. But my mum took me there, you know, and places like that. So, you know, but the gunpowder plot is really the reason why I got into history. Um, hence the reason why I did a blog post uh, the other week, because I wanted people to know the real history behind it. But, um, other histories, and a lot of mine is American history, to be honest, and I was talking the night before we came on. Um, so I really like the Prohibition period and like the early formation of the mobsters. And But I really, obviously, this carry on for the Civil War, I love the Wild West period, and go back to TV programs, Deadwood, oh, what a TV show. What, mm -hmm. I had to wait a long time for them to finish that. Going back to uh, Wild Bill Hickok, he's featured in that. Um, you've got that other lady, Calamity Jane, I think it is. That is such a great... I mean, the, if you can put up with a lot of swearing, of course, you know, because there's yeah. an awful lot in that. But that TV show was so good. And Ian McShane, oh, yeah, he played a real good yeah. character in that. Was, um, the downside yeah. to Deadwood is it makes you want to go there, and then you go there, and the, I hope I don't offend anyone, but it's... There's nothing left from, no. I mean, the figures are there, you know, you go into the cemetery called Mount Moriah and you have Seth Bullock and Wild Bill and Calamity Jane are buried there. So in that sense, it's true, but there's nothing original. You know, they have a saloon number 10 sign, but it's on the d opposite side of the street from where it was, so, you know, the saloon where Wild Bill died. Um, so in so many of the, you know, Old West towns that are really famous have been uh, lost in that yeah. way, uh, largely because, you know, fire was a thing and, you know, they all burned down. Yeah, you know, and everything's made of wood. Yeah. Dodge and, and Deadwood. Um, and I've been to, to most of them. And Didn't generally speaking, I about the OK Corral the other week. I'm sure you did. Yeah. So yeah, so that's another interesting um don't get me started on that movie. I think it's awful. They've got white teeth and they just it's just wrong. But Which one? you know. Um Tombstone, I'm not a big fan of that one. Really? Yeah. Um, am I am I wrong in saying that? Have I upset you, Tim? Sorry. <laughs> He's not a, a, you've upset Tim. No, no but um, the, uh, I just find they're a bit too clean and a bit too it wouldn't be like I mean, that they, then, would it? It'd be dirty, filthy you're animals. True. Or you're probably uh you're you're not lying about that. Um 
I mean, that, I love the place. Tombstone is like. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to go to the place. One yeah, of so my top still got five that character, that places. Western character. I mean, as corny as it is, you know, it's very tourist trappy. Um, but you can avoid it, like, if you want to. You don't want to go into a gift shop. You don't want to take part in a ghost tour. Don't do it. And to be honest, like, the entire place is worth it to go in the uh, Birdcage Saloon, you know, the theater. Yeah. Or Birdcage Theater. Um, you know, because you really are looking at bullet holes that, you know, from the Cowboys doing this into the ceiling. and <laughs> Really? In the Seriously? Basement. And in the yeah. basement, they have, you know, a setup of a card game, you know, and in that very same room, they ran a, a card game. There's a book written about it. A single continuous game of poker that lasted 30-something years. You know, the players would change out, but the exact same game continued. Oh, good. And they, they distributed it there. And then there's just so much myth and legend, you know. Yeah. You know, they – ties into Tombstone and and uh, uh, wider, the movie, you know, if Kevin Costner came out at the exact same time, you know. But not one movie mentions that um, Josephine Marcus, who later became Josephine Earp, you know, mm -hmm. Wyatt's second common-law wife. You know, he was married in a church once, and then he had two common-law marriages. Um, but Josephine Marcus, you know, is depicted in both as, this, as an actress, which she was. She did do some acting. But her primary job in Tombstone was she had a license as a, you know, prostitute. And what they don't tell you is while Wyatt Earp had a, had a house in town, he also had a wagon that he would pull up to the backside of the Birdcage Theater. And he'd stay in the wagon um, waiting for Josie Marcus, who had also had a room right opposite where this card table was where, you know, she plied her trade. Yeah. Um, so that is a hidden aspect of Western history that just really isn't discussed. I mean, it it's definitely, and See, which is kind of funny because it very much enhances the wild aspect of the yeah, of course, the wild west. The thing is, Hollywood got hold of it in the nineteen well, well, we have to say late fifties, early sixties, didn't they? And they sort of changed it into what it is, what we perceive it to be, or what we perceive it was like. Well, and no one, uh, no one even that? had heard. No one had even heard of the gunfight at the OK Corral. It wasn't like this thing happened in 1882, and then in the by 1885, it's famous. No one had heard about it until the early 1920s, when Wyatt Earp was like talking his story, and they, you know, started, you know, actors Tom Nix, etc., started getting their hands on it. And only in the 20th century did the gunfight at the OK Corral become yeah. this big thing. I mean, they were probably more likely to call it the shootout on Freeman's, uh, Fremont Street or something like that. You know, the OK Corral is actually a street over from where it was. It was a, it was a vacant lot behind the OK Corral, to be specific. But you're not going to say gunfight at the vacant lot behind the no, OK Corral. Not, so... Um, um, yeah, so like the reason I was bringing that Hollywood connection up is because Nate mentioned his granddad and uh, watching one of those mm -hmm. Wild West shows, and that 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 really is what Hollywood got hold of is that 
wasn't it? I mean, they probably went and watched that and thought, this will make a great movie. I mean, they even travelled to the UK, from what I understand. This show went around everywhere, went around the world, Japan, the UK. And, and, and again, our perception of the West is because of the, the and, and again, these were the people that were involved in it. We know that, but, you know, some of the, because there was an Indian, an Indian chief, wasn't there, that was involved in it as well. I think one of the Wild West shows, I'm sure it was. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting period for me. I find it fascinating. I think you might be thinking of Sitting Bull. Yeah. Um, of the Sioux tribe. He ended up, I know, working with um, uh, some of he those did. shows, and, and, and especially after, you know, the Sioux War, I think of 1876. Especially after that, once the Sioux had been defeated, I think he he kind of went into uh he kind of retired from his like position and that's when he started working with the shows and everything else um but and and there's another interesting aspect is the whole uh, uh indian wars after yes, post definitely, War. definitely. Um, uh, of course the most famous being uh, uh custer's last stand and 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 you know in the uk as far as i'm aware there's even a society dedicated i don't know about the us but i know there's a society a little bit like the round table that are dedicated just to that particular event yeah custer, even, or to custer you know yeah even here you know tim i think you know the name of it but there there's something like that here where there's a group of people that go and meet um near custer's last stand and like that's like its own separate historical group um and those it's like a a a huge interest um the battle of little bighorn Um, it is is, i find it fairly interesting um there's been a lot of stuff made about it as well and a lot of stuff written about it and there's all different accounts of this, that, and the other of what actually happens, isn't there? There's so many different. I mean, I even see this program on one of the history channels once. It was absolutely ridiculous that one of the guys actually rid away, and then like he, the, do you know? I don't know if you saw. I don't know what it was called, but yeah. he, he managed to get away from from the battle, and he came up with this story, and you know of what happened, and this, and it was just terrible. But um, I don't think there was any survivors, as far as I'm aware. But you know. <laughs> course you know it is a fascinating little period of history yeah well and that's you know that's something that i you know the first time i heard of custer right it's associated with little bighorn but what i mean what people forget though is yeah, that he, was he actually popular. was super popular during the civil war and he actually yeah, did very, oh, big very well big in the civil war um i mean he was a and even during the indian wars there was like some hesitancy to even give him command because um, he was an outspoken uh, Democrat and President Grant at the time. He was not, you know, a fan of that. Uh, but, you know, Sheridan, of course, encouraged Grant to give him command and everything else. Um, but there was a number of wars, even besides, you know, that with the Sioux that took place, whether that's in the Pacific Northwest or in the Southwest. There's there's so many in it. I, I don't even know how long they all lasted, but... Right. Um, long time, very long and, time. And, and I'm glad you brought up those wars because obviously part of that reason was is they were trying to lay the trans um, transcontinental railroad. And I find so I, I actually quite find um, some of the industrial um, uh, history interesting. Um, I mean, there was this great documentary called The Seven Wonders of the Industrial World, and it featured 
the, the, the sewers under London, it featured, but one of them was a transcontinental railroad. And of course, getting through the Rocky Mountains was, that was tough. Uh, a lot of Chinese migrants were were, were, were um, involved in that. But you had these towns spring up and then, of course, you know, they had to try and protect the people, didn't they? So that was the excuse for sending out uh, troops to protect the communities that went along with this railroad and mm. everything else that went with it. Um, the other one is the Hoover Dam. That was on their list as well. And that, again, mm. even for that time period, that amount of concrete is just unreal, you know. But I find that quite interesting, that sort of history as well. But I don't know whether you've got anything else to say about that sort of thing, any of you in guys. In between that period, this is when that's when you also have, you know, kind of the Rockefellers. You have all these yes. incoming new billionaires. And, and, this is know. when America really becomes, you know, what we well, know and, and, in the 20th century. And that's what we were talking about, you know, earlier with, um, you know, when the United States really starts booming. I mean, there's that's why there's this hesitancy to get involved in, in you know, Europe and, and other places, especially during World War One. It's like that's their war. Like, let them yeah. deal with that. Um, and, you know, I think there probably was an argument there. Uh, I, but the, I mean, obviously, what the problem was, though, is that Germans kept interfering and. Um, they were still destroying American ships. And, and, you know, then there's the Zimmerman telegram, which thanks to you British for letting us know, uh, that's kind of what got us into the war. They Um, relished that one. Oh, I know. I know. Well, Hey, Winston Churchill was so happy when the United States got involved in world war two. Oh, we need it. We were, we were on the ropes. Uh, the English channel saved us really from Dover to Calais. It's only 21, 22 miles. Obviously, landing in Dover is is in, near impossible. But yeah, you know, if they really wanted to, they could have invaded us. Well, they could have put the full force of the, you know, the German army. But of course, Russia steps in. That's what I was going to get onto because that's another fascinating period I love is the is the Eastern Front in World War Two. And I find the fact that you get these two huge dictators bashing heads. Because they both got the same idea, you know. But yeah. Well, and and you know, there's actually, um, I mean, that's I, there's a whole group of um, people that are interested in in the Battle of Stalingrad out there. Oh, I mean, that is just an absolute when, you could talk about Stalingrad for I don't know how long, but yeah, you well, talk we about can, we can really a podcast about that big battle. I mean, it's Stalingrad and. And I do know there's actually a, I believe there's actually a historian actually at the Citadel who, uh, he wrote a real, like, all about the Battle of Stalingrad. And he's kind of like the guy on Russian military history and, and, you know, the Battle of Stalingrad. And supposedly this, this like series of works he did is like considered the definitive study Mm-hmm. of Stalingrad. Uh, I'll, I'll need to look up the name of it, but uh, yeah, there's there's so much you could talk about there. I mean, I oh, think... 100%. Of- I mean, we could be here all day. I mean, actually, I've just, a good film has just popped into my head and it's got a couple of great British actors in it. It's called Enemy at the Gates. Yep. yep. What a great... It's about a sharpshooter in the Russian army and it's Jude Law, I believe. Uh, and I think Bob Hoskins is in it as well, which is a famous British actor. Um, but I love, uh, I love that movie. 
that was a real good movie. And I'm pretty sure at the beginning, it starts where they've only got one rifle between like six of them or something as they run into the, I think it's starting grad. It's, Which, yeah, it's my one, understanding of that. It is, I think that's a myth. I don't know how accurate. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah. That's what would call you. I, I'm not an expert no. on it. Yeah. Just, I've heard that's a myth. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But that so. is fantastic, that movie. It is yeah. a good movie. It's a very good going, movie. Going back to the the West, there were some really good Western movies, sort of like um, there was a three or four came out in sort of like the noughties. So you had a remake of True Grit, which I really enjoyed. There was one called Appaloosa, which I really liked that. I don't know if you've ever seen that. And there was also called one called Sheridan Falls, which is actually where a, a, a union, something he's done something during the Civil War and he's chasing him through the wilderness, you know, to try and kill him. It's actually got Pierce Brosnan as one of the actors in that. And then you've got, um, I can't remember the other guy's name, but it's such a fantastic movie. It really is. Go and watch it. But yeah, like, you know, but um, yeah, I mean, we could talk all day day long about um but also for you know we wrap up here my I, my love of history even goes into the music period and i always say to most people i was born in the wrong era because i'm a huge buddy <laughs> hockey fan so the 1950s you know that is the the age of rock and roll and you know i like elvis as well don't get me wrong but i was more of a buddy holly fan so that was because I met somebody that's 25 years my age and his wife likes Buddy Holly as well, you know. So we saw, like, but I love that sort of music, rock and roll, you know. So even mm-hmm. music history, you know, that that rolls into the Beatles and then everything else that comes after it, you know. But I don't know, have you got guys got sort of like that? Do you like that sort of music or do you like, you know, like historic stuff like that, older music or? Yeah, I, I like Elvis, so I really a little bit there i liked a lot about the british invasion you know beatles and stuff as far as music goes the music died what yeah Um, so the reason the beatles became so big as far as far as i'm i'm aware is obviously elvis was in the army jerry lee lewis was had been a very naughty boy and was uh uh, married his cousin Mm -hmm. who was 14 or something Mm -hmm. like that um obviously like i said uh Eddie Cochran died in a car crash in England and Buddy Holly had died in 1959 along with the yep. big popper and Richie Valance. And Richie Valance was like, El- was going to be as big as Elvis. I think he was a very good looking chap, you know, La Bamba, great movie. Um, yeah. Well, um, most of them, unlike Elvis, they actually produced their own music. They did. Yeah. I did not know this until much later that Elvis never did anything that wasn't a cover. <laughs> He was your first ever manufactured pop star. Let's put it that way. And oh. he had the looks, he had the hips, and that was the end of that. You know. I mean, yeah, I, he could play the instruments, but it's true. Elvis could not read or write no. music. So, But when it comes to like music, I've always, another hidden thing, I've always been interested. And this I did get from my grandfather. Um, but he gave, apparently any interest I have in medieval stuff is must be genetic because he was a closet medievalist. Mm. Uh, he had, he also like Nate said was or grandfather was a doctor. He was a professor of uh, uh, modern languages, uh, French and Spanish, and he. But he wrote his dissertation on the Crusades. Um, but he was also a big classical music guy. So I've always been a fan of classical music. So I love reading about you know beethoven mozart mozart tchaikovsky you know um bach etc um 
I like reading about that on the side. Awesome. What about you, Nate? Have you got any secret like I, music habits? Well, you know, when they start playing uh, Country Roads, Take Me Home. Oh, yeah. You I can't fight it. I can't yeah. fight it. Um, oh, you don't like it? Look, oh, I, okay. <laughs> I, listen, I listen to about everything. And I'm. Yeah. When it comes to music, I've, I've never. Um, I am the uh, consequence of being born in the 90s and listening to a lot of um punk rock growing up whether it's oh, yeah. you know 182 or or whatever yeah yeah that's that's like my cup of tea right there so oh, nice. you know but i love you know uh, the, the, there's a lot of history behind music and it is it's it's fascinating especially in that early is. period you know yeah yeah anyway so um yeah before we wrap up here anything you guys want to add um before we finish up here because again we could talk all day, night, day and night but then you know people would probably fall asleep so you know <laughs> i've really enjoyed this conversation and just being how to just you know do this and do something different for a change i suppose and I, even though we did mention the civil war about 10 times <laughs> and <laughs> history <laughs> i mean you can't you can't not if i'm on here you can't you yeah can't exactly not. yeah you yeah. know um, i just really appreciate you bringing us on darren yeah, no problem. Yeah, appreciate it. It was fun. And uh, all I'm going to say, everybody, is there's lots of st stuff we're working on in the background. And uh, going back to the American Civil War again, we have something very, very exciting coming up in the new year. Um, we're going to do a uh, – and this is the first time anybody's going to hear about this, and uh, we'll advertise it. We're doing Figures of the Civil War, and it'll be its own podcast. And we are going to start with – the main man himself ulysses s grant and we're going to do we say we're going to do three episodes but i mean you could do 20 episodes on the civil war alone so it's going to be a difficult one to edit down to what we want to get across but we're going to cover his early life his civil war life and of course afterwards you know which is interesting um you know becomes president two times goes and tours europe and then writes amazing memoirs um you know, so we're going to and then, of course, after that, we will start delving into other interesting people from the American Civil War period and not just generals, everybody. So it's not going to exclude anybody. So it could be anybody. Um, as far as this platform's concerned, um, me and Tim do have um, something in the pipeline uh, to do with World War Two. Um, that will be Pearl Harbor. So we'll be doing that in the near future. If Tim wants to do that, obviously. <laughs> you are with that, Tim? Yeah. Yeah, he's smiling. But, um, yeah. Excellent. So um, all that's left to say is thank you very much, everybody. And we'll see you all very, very soon. Um, yeah. Cheers. Thank you for tuning in to this latest episode of For the Passion of History podcast, which was brought to you by American Civil War and UK History. For blog posts, updates and links to all of our content, please visit our website. A link to the website can be found via the show's description. Cheers.